Welcome to No Baller. It is Tuesday, May 11th, and I'm Chris Rawl. On today's show, I will be talking about hope and how hope always makes sense in the context of sports. Before that, we go to a word from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. One of my favorite television shows of all time is called The Leftovers. There's a scene within this show. There's a man who hugs people to take away their pain. Uh, It's a very intense show when it comes to themes and grief and the exploration of that particular thing. So this guy hugs people to take away their pain. And there's a really powerful, impactful moment within the first season where he looks this lady who's gone through a lot in her life and he says, hope is your weakness. And that line has stuck with me because the show goes on to explore hope in a much grander sense. And part of the idea behind it is hope is at times a weakness. And if, if used correctly or, or in a manner that is beneficial, then hope is a strength. Okay? So I think about that line, hope is your weakness. And I think about the end destination of the idea within the show, that hope is also a strength. And it's a very interesting idea to think about and to swirl around in your glass and sniff and savor and all those kinds of things that I like to do on this show. I think about hope in the context of life, you know, and I think about certain areas, let's say American politics, that I personally don't really want to be a part of. And I think that if you are hopeful in that world, uh, it is a weakness because that's something that doesn't change. That system has always been that way. That system will always be that way. And to hope for these things to change within the world of American politics, it seems like something that will only bring you grief and frustration and drive you insane. So I understand that idea. Hope is your weakness when applied in that sense. Then I think about a, a different aspect of life, one that I really enjoy, sports. And I think about how it's one of the very few areas in life that you can continually come back to with hope and feel good about it. Not because it's always fulfilled. And in fact, it's very rarely fulfilled in the grandest sense. But sports offers this extension where you can go and give yourself freely from a hope perspective and say, ah, I think this is the year for my team. This is going to be it. And usually they fall short and you feel the sting of that loss. But once every so often, that hope is fulfilled and you get a sense of fullness and awe that very few things can bring to the table. So I think about hope and I think about how it applies to myself. And I say, hope is my favorite team. That's one of the ways that it works. I've spoken a little bit in the past about the Colorado Avalanche, my favorite hockey team. And I'm going to go deeper into that today. They moved to Colorado in 1996. They become my local team, despite the fact I live in Utah. And I come on board. 
And the very first year they are there, they win the Stanley Cup. I'm 10 years old at the time. And I go, this is awesome. What an incredible new sport. What an incredible team that the Colorado Avalanche have put together. Filled with talent and, and all of the things that make hockey great. And I just go, this is awesome. I'm going to watch them win a bunch of Stanley Cups. I, I didn't really understand how hard it is to win a championship in professional sports. So they won in 96, and I just assume that's going to happen moving forward pretty much every year because the team is young and they're talented. And then they come into the playoffs next year and they lose to the Red Wings. And I go, well, okay, whatever, minor blip. They go into the playoffs the next year and they lose in the first round to Edmonton. And now it's starting to set in this concept of hope within sports. Before, it was just kind of something that I thought didn't really even need to exist. I just go, the Avalanche are going to win. Now I start to understand the cadence of being a fan. Sometimes your team wins, hopefully. Not all the time, actually. And the vast majority of the time, your team loses, even if they're a very talented team, because only one team wins. So now I'm understanding the cadence, and I'm starting to go, okay, I I hope this is the year now, because the Avalanche have made a few trades, and this is going to be good. And we move into 1999. The Avalanche make the Western Conference Finals. They lose in Game 7 to the Dallas Stars. So now we're three years removed. And I'm really starting to understand the cadence of how hope applies to sports. We move to the next year. And I go, this is the year. This team, they're seasoned. They've gone through these defeats. It's made them stronger as a team. In the regular season of that year, they trade for a man named Ray Bork, who is one of the best defensemen in the history of hockey. The time he had played for the Boston Bruins for 20 years and had not won a Stanley Cup. Yet, he was one of the best players in hockey for that entire duration. So now the Avalanche have added him to a roster already loaded with talent. Peter Forsberg, Joe Sackick, Patrick Waugh, Adam Foote. And I go, this is it. They're ready. My hope is at an all-time high, I'm ready. Western Conference Finals, Dallas Stars. Familiar opponent, looming, just the same as they were last year. It comes down to Game 7. The Avalanche are down one in Game 7. And... The clock is dwindling. The last 10 seconds of that game, Ray Bort gets a shot from the point that he shoots through a bunch of bodies, drills the post, and it just kind of sits there. Dallas walks in, they clear it out, and the game's over. And I remember Ray Bork, he's leaning down, he's got his stick across his knees as he's just kind of like looking at the ground. And we all thought he was going to retire because he'd played for 20 years. And the Avalanche had traded for him for that year to try and win the Stanley Cup. And it seemed like both of those things were not going to come to fruition because hope is very rarely fulfilled in the way that you want it to be. So I'm devastated as a fan and I'm really, really understanding the cadence now, which is your team very rarely wins. And so when it happens, cherish it and savor it and realize that this won't happen often. So Ray Bork actually decides to come back the next year, 2001. And I go, I can't stop believing that this team is going to win. I know that I shouldn't be hoping for this because now I'm starting to understand hope is at times a weakness because I keep believing this thing is going to happen. And statistically, it's not very probable that it will. The Avalanche that year, they make another regular season trade. They bring Rob Blake, one of the best defensemen at that time. They trade for him from the LA Kings. So now their roster is even more loaded. The Avalanche are going... Our window to win is now. We're doing everything in our power to win. So let's go all in. So they get to the playoffs in 2001, and I go, all right, this is is the year. 
Even though in the back of my mind I go, I know it's probably not because only one team's going to win. And yet, the Avalanche beat the Canucks in round one. They beat the LA Kings in round two in seven games. Their best player, Peter Forsberg, he plays the end of that series with a ruptured spleen. He has an emergency surgery at the end of game seven where doctors are like, you kind of could have died if you had continued playing through this. So he's out for the rest of the playoffs. So now I'm going, ah, their best offensive player is out. Ah, what, is this still possible? But I'm still hoping because there's still a lot of talent. There's Rob Blake. There's Ray Bork. There's Sackick. There's Foot, There's Wah. There's all these people. They beat the Blues in Western Conference Finals. So now we have the Stanley Cup Finals against the New Jersey Devils, a team that in their own right was a juggernaut for that era. And it's back and forth. And it all comes down to Game 7. The Avalanche have clinched home ice that year. They won the President's Trophy as the best regular season team. So they have Game 7 on their ice. And it turns into probably the most memorable hockey moment of my fandom, which is the Avalanche winning that game. They end up winning 3-1. Alex Tangay scores two goals. I can still picture everything that goes on in that game. I still remember in the third period, the Avalanche are up 3-1. And the clock's ticking but it just seems like an eternity. For anybody who watches hockey and has had their team in a situation like that, you watch it and the clock goes so slowly that you almost can't even fathom that it's moving. So a 20-minute period now takes an eternity, and every single time the Devils have the puck, I'm convinced they're going to score, despite the fact that the Avalanche just have five people packed into their own zone and are blocking everything in sight. So it's coming down, it's coming down, and it starts to set in like, okay... This is hope being realized for fans, uh, for this team that has gone through a lot in the last five years since they won a Stanley Cup, and for, most importantly at that time, for Ray Bork, who was now in his 21st season and had never won a Stanley Cup. So the game is dwindling down. It's the last minute, and people are grabbing Ray Bork on the bench, and, they're just, and he's just kind of overwhelmed. He's sitting there, and he's going, like it's starting to set in, but it's not starting to set in, if that makes sense. So the clock expires. They all run out. They're throwing everything everywhere. And the way that the Stanley Cup ceremony works is they usually come and give it to the captain, who at the time is Joe Sackick. And he's the first person to go and hoist it up and carry it around the ice. And everybody knew what this meant for Ray Bork. So Sackick, who's the captain at the time, they go to present it to him. And they hand it over to him. And he just gives it directly to Ray Bork. He goes, come over here. I'm not even doing anything with it. You're the first person to take the cup out. So it results in this iconic moment, like truly one of the most iconic moments in the history of the NHL, which is Ray Bork hoisting the Stanley Cup for the first time after 21 seasons. Gary Thorne, who's on the call, he says exactly that. After 21 years, Raymond Bork. And he's just hoisting it up and he's crying and the Pepsi Center's going insane. It's showing his wife in the crowd. She's losing it. And it's just one of the moments that you go, hmm, this is what it means when hope is fulfilled. There are very few things that can provide this. The fullness that comes about from following something for many years or being invested in it emotionally and and then having that realized. There are very few things that offer that in life. So that's the magic of those 2001 playoffs for me. Everything that I could possibly want as a sports fan. And one of the reasons that hope always makes sense within the context of sports because if everything breaks right like it did that year, then this can happen. Ray Bort can be hoisting that Stanley Cup. And I can be sitting there at home as, as a young fan going, this is everything. This is awesome. 
You know, this is something I'll never forget, and this will tie me into hockey for the remainder of my life. So that's the good stuff. You know, hope is the strength. Hope is the provider of those emotions that we really crave. Flip side of that coin, hope is the weakness. It's, it's the lean years. It's everything that comes after 2001 for the Avalanche. They still are making the playoffs, but that team starts to, to fracture and to be traded off and retire because of age. And in 2007, the Avalanche missed the playoffs for the first time since moving to Denver, which I don't think much of at the time because they've always been a competitive team. And I still have that hope that, well, they just a couple quick moves and this team is right back within a Stanley Cup window. That's not how it plays out. The next 11 years, they make the playoffs three times and they don't really threaten anything. They're just kind of there floating around in the NHL, one of the forgettable teams for over a decade that exist within a professional sports league. You don't love it when it's your team because that hope, it moves far down on the scale. And you go, why do I keep hoping this team is going to be good? There's no signs that really point towards that happening. We're, in, we're a decade in. There's nothing that really seems sustainable for the future. I don't really know what the vision is for this franchise. And I'm struggling to come and watch all of these regular season games that never result in a playoff berth. I'm struggling to watch them and find reasons that I enjoy that. This is the hope is your weakness stage. And you got to go through both of these things uh, as a fan because they are intertwined in a way to make both of them more powerful. So in 2017, the Avalanche go 22, 56, and 4. They finish the season with 48 points, uh, one of the worst seasons in the history of modern hockey. Absolute rock bottom for the franchise. And I remember watching games that year and I would just, I didn't really understand A, what was bringing me to the table to watch any of their games because they were so abysmal. And B, how there could possibly be an end to this within the near future. And by near future, I mean years. I'm talking five years down the road. I just didn't understand how what was on the ice at that point in time could ever turn into something that would be good. And yet the next year, against all odds, the Avalanche have one of the greatest single-season turnarounds in the history of the NHL, and they make the playoffs. Crazy. And I haven't tasted playoff hockey in quite some time. And playoff hockey is as good as anything for me as a sports fan. I love it as much as anything. They play the Nashville Predators in round one. They lose in six games, but I don't really care because the season came out of nowhere. And there were a lot of bright spots. I go, Nathan McKinnon, wow, this guy, he's really coming along. Uh, Miko Rantanen, what's going on here? Who, who's this guy? There, there are pieces in place that I start to see glimmers of hope for the future. So we go into the next season and... I'm kind of tempering my expectations because while the Avalanche did make the playoffs, there were a lot that went into that season that didn't really seem sustainable. There was a lot of random chance that went into them making the playoffs. They're scoring goals with their goalie pulled at the end of regular season games, then winning in overtime repeatedly. Just a lot of random chance that happens that can swing a playoff berth for teams that are on that cut line. 2019, however, the Avalanche, they make the playoffs again. They're the eight seed in the West. So they barely sneak in. But still, I'm at that stage where I'm building my hope back up. And I go, okay, there are pieces in place. And this team, they've made the playoffs two years in a row. There's a lot to be gleaned just from that, even if they go on and lose in the first round. They're playing Calgary, round one. Calgary's the one seed, Colorado the eight seed. 
The Avs lose game one. McKinnon scores an incredible overtime winner in game two. So we're setting the stage for something that I really love within the world of hockey. That swing game three on home ice for the underdog, who is my favorite team, the Avalanche, and a fan base that is just starved for success and for just having playoff hockey in their lives. So you know this place is going to be going bonkers. Simultaneous to this, the Avalanche have a prized prospect whose name is Kel McCarr, who has been playing collegiate hockey at the University of Massachusetts that season. And for two years, Avalanche fans have been following his progression because he was a top draft pick. They picked him number four overall in his draft class. And he's shown all these flashes where everybody goes, Ooh, I can't wait to watch this guy in the NHL. Very unique player, incredibly gifted and skilled, and just goes about his business in a way that is very different from any other defenseman. So we're watching highlights of him at UMass. And in his final season there, he wins the Hobie Baker Award, best collegiate player in hockey. And I have hopes for Kel McCarr that looking back on it, I go, it's not possible for this guy to realize those expectations just because my, my hope, I couldn't temper it. I was so excited just to have another player come into the fold that possessed so much talent at, at that stage of his career. You know anything about the NHL? These players don't come in and make immediate impacts, especially on the defensive side. It's just not how the NHL works. And yet, Kel McCarr's season finishes two days prior to Game 3. So he's now not a collegiate hockey player. The Avalanche signed him to an entry-level contract. They They put him into the active roster. He has one practice with the team that day. And they go, all right, uh, we're thin on the defensive core, and let's roll this guy in here. Baby face, rosy cheeks, looks like he's four years old, and yet every Avalanche fan is looking at him and going, this guy is the microcosm of what I hope the future holds. So now he's in the lineup in the biggest game of the season to this point, and possibly the biggest game in Avalanche hockey in over a decade. And the Avalanche come out with their hair on fire. I'm watching it at my house at the time with some other people, and they're enjoying it, even though some of them don't really even know what's going on with hockey, but they're going, this is amazing. What is this? The Avs score a goal in the first period. The Avs score another goal in the second, or another goal in the first period. So now they're up 2-0. Kel McCarr takes this shift with under five minutes to go in the first period. The Avs are already up by two, and the place is going just nuts. They can feel it. That, like, the Avalanche are out for blood. And, and everybody in the building knows that this is one of the turning points in the franchise, their progression towards being a Stanley Cup contender. This is a turning point. You can realize it in the moment. Kel McCarr takes a shift, and he comes out, and you see him, and you go, this can't really be happening. And yet the next thing you know, they're on this rush, and Kel McCarr's scooping in a goal to make it 3-0, and it's cutting to his parents in the crowd, and the place is going they're, they're losing their minds. I'm losing my mind at home, and I'm going, that's Kel McCarr. You guys don't know who that is. And I'm shouting about who it is, and everybody who's watching it with me is going, this is really weird that this is happening, but this is super, super, super cool. So the Avalanche players, they're gathered around him, and it's an all-time moment. It's, it's in the same vein as that Ray Bork hoisting the cup in 2001. It's the realization of... Not to the fullest extent, but it's the realization of what I lust after as a sports fan. It's that break-even point with hope where I go, it is sometimes a weakness, and I wish that I didn't hope that this team could be good or this player could be good. But when it happens, man, that's a feeling. So they beat Calgary. First playoff win in a very long time. First playoff series win, I mean. And 
They lose in game seven that year to the San Jose Sharks. They come back last year. And I'm buying into the idea that this team is young. This team is talented. They're growing together. They're adding pieces and their Stanley Cup window is opening, which is insane to say after you look back in 2017, three years prior, and go, this is one of the worst teams in modern hockey. They're beset by a bunch of injuries last year in the playoffs. They're playing with half a roster by the time the semis roll around against Dallas. They take them to seven games, playing their third-string goaltender, and they lose in overtime of Game 7. Very devastating moment, because even with all the injuries, including the fact that they're playing with a a practice squad goaltender in Game 7, I go, they still have McKinnon on the ice, one of the two best forwards in the world. They still have Kale McCarr on the ice, one of the most gifted defensemen in the world. And maybe things can happen. You know, hope against hope. They lose. That's fine. Happens. Uh, And I look at it and go, this is a building block. You take your lumps, like I've said before on this show, and and you become stronger because of it, and you learn how to win in the playoffs. And this team is growing together. And they're starting to realize their potential. And I believe coming out of last season, and a lot of people within the world of hockey, they say, This is the team with the brightest future in the NHL. So we fast forward into present day, into this season. And the Avalanche, they've been beset by a lot of injuries and COVID-related stuff, but it hasn't mattered when it comes to their record. They've been phenomenal. They're currently the gambling favorites in Vegas to win the Stanley Cup, hovering around plus 500, depending upon what book you use. Which doesn't mean anything, but it's just it shows how far this team has progressed from 2017, when you couldn't have posted a price to lure someone in to bet on them to win a Stanley Cup, and now you have books looking at them and going, "Yeah, this is the team we want the least liability on when it comes to people placing money on them to win the Stanley Cup." So they play a very big game last night against the Vegas Golden Knight, uh, a juggernaut in their own right, and the Avalanche squeak out a two-one win which is huge because now the Avalanche have two games to go against the Kings tomorrow night and against the Kings again on Thursday. And if they win both of those games, they clinch the Western Division and they clinch the President's Trophy, the best record in hockey, something they have not done since 2001. The last time the Colorado Avalanche won a Stanley Cup when Ray Bork's hoisted up in the air. So now I'm buying in wholeheartedly because I just, I can't stop myself from doing so when you see the very best of a team. And the very best of the Avalanche is as good as anything you can see when it comes to hockey. It's McKinnon flying around the ice. It's Rantanen hitting one-timers at the top corner. It's Kale McCarr doing these Gumby feet through five people and then scoring a goal. It's Philip Grubauer in net having a performance like he did last night against the Knights where he stops 36 shots and single-handedly carries the Avalanche to victory. There's so much stuff on that roster that is good that I've watched because I watch every Avalanche game. And when you see the very best, you start to get the ball rolling on your hopes for what that team can be. Now, hope at a certain point translates into immense pressure, especially within the framework of the team itself and how you build a team. I want to read a quote from Pierre Lebrun at The Athletic to illustrate what I'm talking about. Colorado's window to win will never be better than it is right now before a few of their stars eat up more space 
under a cap that may not move much for a while. End quote. Hope is your strength and your weakness. And it culminates in this pressure, this window to win, the championship window that we always hear people talk about. And we're fully there with the Avalanche. I am as a fan, and the Avalanche is a team from a player perspective and from a management perspective. They are there because they understand that time starts to tighten the screws. And the salary cap in a hard cap league, it also starts to tighten the screws. And so you can be at the start of a championship window, but you never really know how big that window is going to be. It seems like it's going to be a lot of years for this team because they're so young and they're so talented and they have room to grow, but you never really know. Ask the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant and James Harden and Russell Westbrook how quickly a championship window can close for a young team that has an immense future in front of it. You just never really know what can happen. So we're there with the avalanche and we're two games away from the regular season ending. And I'm leaning into this team is a Stanley cup contender. And because I've watched the very best of this team this season, and I know that this roster at full strength is unlike anything we have in hockey. I go, this team is the Stanley cup favorite. And I, and I think this is, this is the year. This is when we can get that hope fulfilled. Uh, and it can take me back 20 years, you know, 20 year anniversary of that team. There's a lot of, of stars aligning type things that I like as a sports fan where I go, I wouldn't mind celebrating another Stanley cup, especially for a team that was abysmal in 2017. And I've watched a lot of players from that roster grow and progress and be accentuated by what management is doing with, with additions through the trade and through the draft. There's a lot of cool things that go into a narrative like that. And there's a lot of things for me as a fan that I've seen that make me buy into this hope. So the Stanley Cup playoffs approach. And I hope this is the year. And I believe this is the year. And I open myself to the statistical probability that the avalanche will lose. And I'll feel that harsh sting while simultaneously opening myself to the statistical improbability that Colorado will win the Stanley Cup and remind me of the profound fullness that hope can bring. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.